Hello, everyone, and welcome to 2021. Happy New Year, and thank you so much for being with us at I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. We have a special episode for you today, Mike Larson from Mike's Critters, which he talks about what this is. It's a uh, educational reptile traveling zoo, and due to COVID, he's having to do shows online. Uh, he has been impacted by the pandemic, um, and and I thought that he'd be a great person to have on and to promote him. He does birthday parties, uh, and he's he's just a wonderful person doing some wonderful work. And I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed my time with Mike. Thank you so much, and enjoy. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered. This is an open mind, and you're listening to I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. All right, we are joined here today by Mike Larson of Mike's Critters. Mike, how are you doing today? Not bad. Thank you for the invite. Thank you. Thanks for being on. Um, we, we previously uh, spoke with the Reptile Rescue Society that's in White Rock and learned a lot about the animals there and, and the importance of rescuing exotic animals. And there's always a story behind the, the owners of these, uh, these institutions. How did you get into what you do? Uh, well, I've, I've always been interested in animals since I was like a little, little kid, like literally mm -hmm. two years old. And uh, I can admit for several years after high school, I kind of spun my wheels, not doing anything productive, enjoying life. Right. And uh, you, there's bills that come up. So I kind of was looking at something that I wanted to do, because if you don't like what you do, kind of hard to do it. Right. And I heard about a program at BCIT Entrepreneurial School. And you don't just pay money and you're in the class. They actually interview you. And for my semester, 16 spots, they uh, interviewed 160 people. And after every interview, they knocked 50% of the people out. So I was one of the last people standing. And I think it was very safe to say I was the oddest business to go through that thing. For our wrap-up, when we get our marks and do our presentation, there is no one in past groups because they have the teachers and then they bring somebody back in your field. There was no one in my field that they could <laughs> come back to. So the closest person that they got was uh, someone, I think, that cuts lawns for a living. So tell us a little bit about your business model. Uh, well... I want to say it's hands-on educational fun done safely with critters. Mm -hmm. Critters are always the priority and not to put anyone down, but people come after the critters because right. they are more vulnerable. But I think uh, it's really important that people know what they're getting into before they get into it. You impulse buy something alive, there's a really good chance it's not going to stay that way. Right. So you do your due diligence. You know, someone wants to buy a car. I hope people aren't buying the car because it's blue and it's got four doors. Right. Should be a bit more to your research. And ideally, it'd be kind of nice to hear that there's no shelters or rescues out there, period, because people are doing their due diligence. 
Right. Taking care of the animals. So, so the primary focus is on education in terms of what it takes, what it requires to own an exotic pet. If that animal. comes up when I'm yeah. in a school and things like that, I got to fit into the curriculum. So it's like classification, defenses, adaptations, feeding, but you know, the right questions come up with the right group and you can work everything in there. So what type, uh, what types of critters do you have there? Uh, a little bit of everything there. I have birds like parrots. There's mammals, reptiles. Uh, there used to be insects, arachnids, amphibians, and then the odd like crustacean, like a hermit crab and things mm. like that. I don't want to say your average pet store stuff, right? but kind of. What's, what's the most exotic animal that you have? Well, I like to always think I'm the most exotic wow. animal, also the highest maintenance and, you know, the worst <laughs> one to deal with. But uh, that's hard to say. There's, I, I do have things on the CITES list, which is the endangered species list. But everything, to my knowledge, I have is captive born, which I think is extremely important. Wild caught animal is horrible for a whole bunch of obvious reasons but it's not going to be tame. It's not going to necessarily want to be around you. And it could come in with parasites and things like that, that could have effects on lots of different things. Is, is there any exotic animals, lizards or anything like that, that can actually be domesticated? Oh yeah. I, the, the longer things have been in captivity and bred, the more domesticated they get. So Leopard geckos, some of the more common pet store animals. Rabbits, right. guinea pigs, they were all wild animals at one point. Yeah, Cats and dogs too, right? I was, I was reading this book, Guns, Germs, and Steel, and it's talking about the, uh, the, the domesticability, I don't know if that's how you say the word, of animals and how certain animals you could only tame. Like you can tame an elephant, but you can't domesticate an no. elephant. What's, yeah. what's the difference? Ugh. Tame and domesticate. Well, captive born, it's sort of domesticated, I guess. Right. And, and there's certain things that don't make a good pet for anybody for any reason. And an elephant would be on that list. <laughs> yes. Pretty hard to have a, a room in your house big enough. And then you got to think of the food supply and things like that. Right. So... For your animals, other than yourself, of course, which one takes the most maintenance, re requires the most maintenance? One thing I try to have done is get lower maintenance animals. Mm -hmm. And one thing I'm going to say, it might be a little bit generalized, is humidity for animals. Right. A lot of people might not think about that. And when, you, when you're thinking about that right now, when do you think humidity is more important? or harder to control, like what season? In the winter? Yeah, and yeah. you know why? Because your furnace is running, yes. so it's all dry, hot air blowing, right. so that sucks more humidity, in my opinion, out of the air, out of a cage, mm -hmm. than in the summer, where it's just warm, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So certain things like that, you have to be spraying and adding humidity a lot more. Right. But I'm going chameleons might be one of the harder pets that I've ever had. I've done really well with them, but the humidity that they need and the amount of calcium that they need. And, you know, you can calcify food and vitaminize stuff by gut loading. 
which is feeding your your feeder insects healthy food. Right. They're healthy on the inside already, but then you, I call it shake and bake, where when you're getting bugs, you put them in a container with the right vitamins and minerals. You pour it in there and you dump the bugs in, you shake it up, then it's on the outside. And right. that might be really easy to add calcium, but calcium can't be absorbed in your body without another vitamin, which is D3, which means you have to supply D3 on top of that. You can do that with a vitamin, another like vitamin mix, but you need the right lights. Mm because light bulbs for reptiles and the reptile industry has changed lots over the decades I've been involved. It was barbaric almost in like the eighties, but now there's lots of science behind it. So there's a lot of really, really good uh, stuff out there for them. But a, a light bulb that gives off nutrients, vitamins and minerals wears out. Yes. Some people might just keep using that same bulb for a year you're not giving them anything after a few months. So how, how long do these bulbs depends. last for? Depends on the bulb. Right. I kind of try to change mine every three or four months, which is earlier than you need, because I'd rather have them full than, you know, half, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been pretty lucky. Uh, I don't know if you know of a company called Hagen. It's the world's largest animal supply company. And they have mammal supplies, bird supplies, reptiles, dogs, cats, things like that. And years ago, one of their sales reps heard about me and uh, he contacted me and I've been sponsored by Hagen now for, I think like 15 years. Wow. So that's kind of nice. It helps because then I can get top quality products and food, which doesn't affect my budget for feeding mm -hmm. these things. Because it's it's not expensive or it's not cheap to have no. one pet when you have multiple. They eat more than I do. <laughs> how, how how many pets do you have in total? I'm gonna say maybe about a hundred. Whoa! Where do you keep all these animals? Well, they're all in different rooms for temperature and humidity. Yes. Yeah. And snakes aren't in my mammal room for obvious reasons. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Is and and that's because. Um, because it's actually not obvious to me, but is that because the animals and the snakes that they could they could go at it? Well, with each other? sense each other. Yeah. And the last thing you want is half your critters to be on food mode all the time, right? And then your half be on alert mode all the time. So things are spread out throughout the house, and the critters let me have three rooms in my house. <laughs> <laughs> so they're all in your home. Almost all. I do have a couple that lives somewhere else just due to bylaws and oh. I have to get those on a day that I go out, you know, for work. Right. Right. Yeah. You got to follow the rules. You're a public figure. If you're breaking the rules, you're kind of teaching everyone else. Yeah. Well, you can too. Kind of like wearing a mask in a mall. Right. Right. Yeah. You're talking about the COVID bylaw rules and stuff. Uh, no, no. I'm just talking like bylaws for animals. Which, you know, which animals cat lady can't have a hundred cats, <laughs> right? Again, now that's for obvious reasons. That's a, a serious <laughs> health infraction. Um, what, what are the animals that have to be in the separate building due to bylaws? Oh, uh, well, separate municipality, my tarantulas. Oh, what? Yeah. Where what? I live, you're not allowed to have tarantulas. Okay. And uh, 
I know where I grew up in South Delta, Delta, you're not allowed to have more than six animals in your house. So when I was doing my research for my schooling at BCIT, the entrepreneurial school, I had to contact every municipality, do a graph to see where I could move. <laughs> so I would have loved to have ran this business out of where I grew up because that's, you know, familiar territory. And if you had seven goldfish in your tank, you're breaking a bylaw. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah. Most bylaws, if you went through where you lived, your, the bylaws in your municipality, most of them are totally out of date and right. Yeah, yeah. All it takes one person to go to city council to uh, implement a bylaw because people don't get notified. And who's going to spend every week going to city council mm. in case something comes up that might affect them? So it's pretty easy, I think, at times for some people to get something agenda-wise pushed through. Right, right. Yeah. What, yeah, what are they trying to get out of this in being so vague in the only six pets bylaw? Is that still a thing in Delta? I believe so. Wow. Some municipalities, you, cannot, you can't have a snake over a certain foot. Mm. And I can understand that. The average pet owner doesn't need a 30-foot snake. They could have some problems. <laughs> yeah. Yes. What? So, yeah. other than education, it sounds like um, what? T- tell us a little bit about the education because it's not just schools. It also sounds like uh, um, you know, political edu- education, like changing these bylaws and making things make. Well, more- I'm definitely part of a couple of groups that uh, are have banded together to you know raise awareness mm-hmm. to you know stop certain things and promote other things, I guess. I'm involved with PJAC, which is nationwide. It's a a Canada Industry Joint Advisory Council. And they're definitely someone that's able to help get some laws pushed through or to fight some laws. A few years ago, example, some groups were trying to shut down people owning rabbits. And why why is that? Uh, well, I think part of it is warranted because there's a lot of people that they get an animal, they're bored with it, it's grown up, it's not a baby, it's not as cute, and they dump it in the park. Oh, You can I... go to certain places around and there's lots of rabbits running around. Those were all somebody's expats. And that's a horrible situation. Yeah, because like you're saying, those aren't wild rabbits. They don't no. have the skills to be no. wild. They, they don't have the, the, they're lacking part of their natural instincts about fleeing when a predator comes by. Mm. They're used to eating out of a bowl. Yeah. And being pet Not by that. humans and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So what is it that changes in, in a domesticated animal? Like, is it their brain chemistry or why is it that you, uh, why is it that a, a, an animal can't be wild again? What's happening there? Well, I don't want to say that's the case because there's things that have been reintroduced to the wild. And that's really important with endangered animals, breeding programs in zoos or even in the public, you know, hobbyists breeding certain things to re-release. The only issue with that is you have to protect the land first, Mm -hmm. because if there's no land to release them, you're just killing that animal in the long run. Right. It's got to, there's got to be trees and, you know, everything has to be protected right from the ground up. 
Right. So going back to the laws, what's the number one thing you'd like to change in terms of bylaws and, and probably maybe, and there's probably, this is, could be go on for hours and, you know, I'm going to forget a couple things I'm sure, but the people making these laws need to be more aware of common sense and reality. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of safe to say that a lot of politicians lack that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, maybe more hobbyist breeders and other industries involved in this should be able to speak a little bit more freely about certain things because the hobbyist or the breeder definitely knows a lot more about a lot of these things than your average council person that has <laughs> zero clue about yeah. anything revolving yes. around. So more awareness, common sense, but we know you can't teach that. Is, is there a ministry for like, I know there's a ministry of education. There's a ministry of, uh, fisheries and wildlife. I guess. Oh, okay. So it's all under that. Maybe. Yeah. Fisheries. Yeah. And, and that's such a, like a nebulous thing, right? Like that's so vast. So would exactly. you. Exactly. And then the, yeah. the resources when the, all the other aspects that they have Money to watch, there. they I don't see. have enough time to do things properly. So maybe some things get pushed through quickly just because they don't have the time to properly research. If that makes sense. Right. Now, I, I know you're obviously an ethical person and these animals mean a lot to you, their well-being. Well, they but, eat first. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they eat first. Just like your daughter does, right? Yes, it, that is very true. But but who kind of, who oversees you to make sure that you're being ethical? If say, you know, there are people who are not, who sort of oversees the whole thing? Uh, no one, because I like to think I'm playing everything by the rules. Yeah. And I know I call people out when I see specific things. So if mm. I'm doing the wrong thing, I kind of, I guess, tit for tat. Right. I'm back, right? But I, I think I'm very aware of that. And when I first started this, it was an overblown hobby that was eating me out of house and home. <laughs> yes. So I've kind of toned what I've had down. And over the years, when things do slowly, you know, end up passing away and that type of thing. If it's not something that's more in the trade, I kind of haven't tried to get it again. Okay. I Sticking, see what you're saying. Uh, I don't want to say the basics, but kind of. Yeah. Well, it, it, it sounds like, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, but you're, you're going more towards the rescue bit. So you're not, you're not buying animals, but you're providing a home. Oh, no, I, I still buy some to fill in the gaps, but I'm going right. to say right now, 50% of what I have, maybe a little more has been rescued. Mm. Okay. The odd, I do, I don't, I don't breed a lot of things for right. a couple of reasons. Cause there's already people out there and I'd hate to kind of take away a home from a critter that's already sitting in line looking for one. So I do try to push people into adopting or going to ethical breeders. And there's more and more all the time, more and more, you know, the bad pet stores are basically all gone now. Right. 30 years ago, there was a, quite a few that weren't very ethical, in my opinion. Well, you, you and talk better now. Well, and, and you talked about the reptile industry and how it has changed over the last 30 years. Right. The science behind it is yeah. way better. And 
now that the science is there, companies again like Hagen and there's a couple other country or companies that create and make things, they got scientists and zoologists helping them improve their products mm. to improve the animal's quality of life. Right. So there's some actual scientific research Absolutely. in the food and it's not just like, you know, it's like dog food in the sense that you're not just giving them kibble. There, there's like a, a, a nutrient makeup in well, the food. Well, there, there's consuming. a nutritionist behind it yeah. creating this, right? And I don't know because I don't have dogs, but is there specific species dog food? Yeah. So there is kind of that with some reptiles or the vitamins and the bulbs. If you went to the right pet store, you could go in and there's the specific light bulbs for the desert, for swamps, for jungles. And you can mix and match, but when you can match up your tropical lizard to the tropical light. Yes. Win, You're giving win. it the best the life. You're giving yeah. the animal its, its best life, right? It's better yeah. than giving it like, well, so do reptiles, can they be depressed? Can they have like? Yes. Years oh. ago, a good buddy of mine, he had two pairs of smaller lizards. They were different species, but they had the same sort of environment they lived in and he kept them together. One died. The lizard that was left, it was a dwarf kegu, which you don't really see around anymore. It was depressed. And you could see it in its body language. Oh. And he got it a new buddy. It perked up. You could see its body language change because it had another buddy to hang out with. Sadly, that buddy passed away too. Uh, but the, yeah, animals do have feelings and they're smarter than we give them credit for. Well, yeah. Anyone as otherwise they're only fooling themselves because yeah dogs like i i, I have a dog we rescued a, a dog about a what year type? and a half ago pardon me what type oh that's a great question heinz 57 she's like there you go you, and you depending on what angle the, the mixed ones are the healthiest oh yeah yeah her name's kona and she is like animals can make your life better but we have to make theirs better exactly they we shouldn't use animals as a therapy tool. Do you know what I mean? In the sense of yeah. like, we buy it to make us feel better. It has to be a kind of a two-way street. Absolutely. They're not going to give back as much, though a lot of dogs, unconditional love to a point, right? Right. But we got to provide them what they need. And that goes back to your due diligence, educating yourself before you get into it. What, what animal that you own has the most personality, would you say? Uh, it's hard to compare certain things, but parrots mm. definitely have a higher intelligence. Higher intelligence, I'm going to say, maybe more personality. Uh, one parrot I have, she used to come to work with me all the time. She likes men. And if, especially at a seniors group, but no matter who I visited, she would literally sit on my hand, scope out the room to see the man that she liked. And when she picked the guy she liked, guess what she'd do? Fly to him. She'd wolf whistle at him. <laughs> and she would literally, in birdie body language, flirt. Wow. And that definitely adds to the show. But no matter where I took her, there was always one man mm. that she clicked with. So that was really good at the seniors' homes. Yeah. It added to, you know, the show and the excitement. And it was usually kind of like the quiet little guy that would you know sit off to the side and not be fully involved like 
some other people. Yeah. So you could draw people out of their shells. That's pretty that cool. Now, since, because this is something that uh, I wanted to talk to you about, but with COVID happening and all the restrictions, and you did a lot of these groups, yeah. how are, are the animals experiencing something like are they kind of getting sick of being home or, or what do you see well, in all on? honesty there's definitely some that in my opinion by reading their body language they're they wish they were coming out more right and that's going to be the birds and specific mammals right. guinea pigs rabbits chinchillas because they were so used to coming out and being pat and holding they did like it mm. and something different to see right Right. The dog, you can walk around the block. I can't really put a leash on the hedgehog and walk them around the block. You know what I mean? That would look awesome, though. I do have the odd leash. They go yeah. in the backyard sometimes, but <laughs> there's always different dangers. Right. Uh, when COVID first, well, was first hitting, uh, it was spring break for me. Yeah. And there was some groups, well... It, they, everything got shut down, but when we came time for summer camps, lots of groups wanted me outside because hmm. we couldn't be inside. And I was concerned about bringing mammals because the last thing I need is to pick up a flea or a tick outside in the yeah. grass, bring it home to my zoo and have lots of stuff going on. That right. could be career ending, bringing something like that into the house. So, I can't, oh, sorry. Well, I was just, were, were you able to do these outside groups? Uh, yeah, uh, the, the main groups was uh, Vancouver City Parks, uh, their community centers. They were really good. They, were, they had their rules set. I had to come up with a COVID plan, obviously. But they were really good to me because they had tents and blinders and stuff like that. And, you know, if the wind was blowing the wrong direction, we'd move the tent around so it's not hitting me and the animals because all of a sudden, certain things they feel wind mm. it could scare them because wind could relate to a predator right that's why some animals have hair because it's a sensory organ like the hedgehog for example yeah and i was thinking more like a scorpion or tarantulas and things like that their hairs aren't to make them cuter or keep them warm it's to sense things moving around them all of a sudden they get a big gust of wind hit them to them their instincts kick in. That means a predator, they need to flee. Now, why would, so, because scorpions are in the desert, right? Or, and we have scorpions in BC. Wild scorpions? Yeah, in the Okanagan, the northern scorpion. Oh, and rattlesnakes too. Oh, yeah. We have we have quite a few, diff well, I wouldn't say quite a few, but we have some more exotic-y type of things than a lot of people would think about. Yeah, I, I did not know we had scorpions. That's crazy. Where do they go in the we have We have praying mantises that live in BC. One's what? native that no one's seen in a long time. Two are introduced, mm -hmm. and they're prolific. They're everywhere where they were introduced. Where, where, where? Oh, they're in the Okanagan as well? Yeah. Well, I, I heard a story a few years back, and a snow leopard or something like that, like it, it was rare. obviously... Yeah, but well, somebody owned one and it got out and it was like running around in the Kootenays or something like that. Did you ever hear that story? I didn't hear that one, but I've heard, you know, uh, locally kind of out in Langley, someone I think lost a several, which is an exotic cat from Africa. Yes. And to be a pet, 
the the clawed them. Oh. And you know, your wild animal escaping, things do happen, right? It can't protect itself or hunt with no claws. So we don't know. I don't think we ever heard whatever happened to that. Yeah, this is coyotes, right? Probably. They're they're a whole bunch of things. Yeah. Yeah. Coyotes are fascinating animals. They're they're very uh, adapt at adapting. Yeah. They, yeah. They're, they're very they're, adaptable animal. Yeah. Because, yeah, they, they, they're just all throughout like America. And then if you kill one, like if you shoot a coyote, they'll do a, like a roll call and they'll realize that their numbers are down. So they reproduce. So that's I've why. Heard, I can see that. Yeah. I, there are animals do roll calls. Uh, years ago, I was in Costa Rica when they had that great big earthquake. Mm. The big, big one that yeah. they had. And uh that well, the parrots in the trees and the monkeys, they do roll call first thing in the morning and at night. Where are you sleeping? And in the yeah. morning, they do roll call to, are you still there? Yeah. Because who you, knows what happens over the night. And, and, and did, did this roll call, did it really increase after the earthquake? Like, were they checking uh, well, on each other? I thought it was kind of funny uh, where we were staying. I was the one actually that was teaching the locals when the next aftershocks were coming because the howler monkeys would start screaming soon before the aftershocks were hitting. Whoa. And they didn't realize that. And, you know, the three days after that earthquake, I think there was like 1,200 aftershocks. So people were wondering why they're always screaming and took the Canadian to teach them. <laughs> where, did, where did you learn all this stuff? Like I... I want to talk a little bit about you for a second. Where did you, yeah, how did you pick all this up? Uh, I, I haven't gone to school for zoology or anything no. like that. I have a really big animal library, but I think a lot of this is just observational. Right. And like, I know people that have gone into zoology and they know all the book smarts, but they haven't seen the animal that they study. Mm. So they don't know what you know in person what it does where i find a lot of the hobbyists you might not have all the book smarts like the professional you know ticketed zoologist but you know so much more because they've got it in their living room and they could watch it 24 hours a day right. they can see how it hunts they see how it mates and you know protects its babies or whatever what's what's the craziest story that you've ever had with like in terms of an encounter with one of these animals? Well, going back to animals are smarter than we give them credit for. One of my all time favorites was a chinchilla I had named Curious George. He picked me up. When I went to view him in New Westminster, a family was breeding them and I went to look because I wanted a chinchilla. I'd studied about him. I knew I could take care of him. And the parents and most of the babies were just doing their own thing. They couldn't care less. I was in the room, but George watched me and I noticed that. So I kept following them back and like going up and down the cage and he followed me. So he picked me, wow. but years later, and I had George for about 20 years, which is a pretty long time for a chinchilla. And he was a star. He, he could sense when people were handicapped, slightly different and he was a huge hit at places like Canuck Place, where other animals might be jumpy in someone's arms or laps. 
he could sense, and like dogs are like this too, mm -hmm. he could sense when someone didn't have the full abilities as yeah. others, and he would just sit there in their arms. So he was a stud. Wow. But uh, he got pink eye twice, conjunctivitis. Yeah. And it's from parents sending their kids to a birthday party with a highly infectious disease. Oh. And the first time George got it, you know, I had to take him to the vet with meds and the vet visit. It was, you know, 200 bucks or something like that. And I had to give him the meds every day. The first day I had him, I had to literally grab him, hold him super tight as best I could to squirt drops in his eye. Does your daughter want that to happen? No. A, a critter doesn't <laughs> understand as well as a human, right? Right. But that first time, I had to fight him to do it. And, you know, I talked to him and said, hey, George, I got to give you your meds. The next day, I showed him the bottle. And you know what he did? Put it in his own eye. Ran to the front of the cage. And he went. <laughs> wow. Kids don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> he, let, he helped me help him get better. That one. Because he knew you were helping him. He knew that that did something that made him feel better. So I never had to grab him and flip him over his side. I just went, hey, George, and he'd run and turn his head. So, so who'd, who's... Who'd think a rodent would do that? Yeah, that is... Well, and, and, and they used to, and this is unfortunate, they used to and still do a lot of experiments on rodents and rats. Yeah. Is that because... And and dogs and... Are, are they trying to like replicate how a human brain would think or work? Like what, why are they using those animals instead of say a human? I know the reasons are obvious. There's the ethical principles, but are there similarities between how we think and how a rodent thinks? Probably not because yeah. we don't have to worry 24 hours a day about getting eaten by something. Right. And even in captivity, I would think, some of that instinct about self-preservation is there. We, we self-preservation ourselves type, so to speak, if there's a, a robber in the store with a gun. Yeah. We listen and we duck and lay on the ground and do what we're told. A rodent in the wild or in captivity, you know what I mean? What's, what's interesting about that is that there's a book by, uh, oh, I forget his name, but he's like a primatologist. And the book's called Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Have you heard of that book? No. What, what he's saying is that animals in the wild, they don't have diseases related to stress. Yeah. Right? Whereas, anxiety? Yeah. Some animals in captivity do, though. That, yeah. I, oh, that's so weird. It's almost like when certain needs are being met, you know, certain like aren't needed anymore exactly so then yep. and a whole new list of problems take place yeah yeah and i think that maybe that's the point of the book is like to you know not to take things so seriously or whatever and then you won't have all these stress-related diseases well and, and stress is a killer and i think 2020 is going to go down as the biggest stress year for every person on the planet right Hopefully next year is not going to be the same, but. Yeah. Well, it's been very stressful for you, right? In terms of your, your business, it's been greatly affected. By, Massive. Yeah. yeah. T tell us a little bit uh, about that. 
Well, I would typically, as soon as COVID started and everything was getting shut down, that was mm. hitting my peak season, which is, means I'm able to put like staff bonuses away for Christmas, pay bills, pay taxes, put some money aside for holidays, jump ahead, get some animals. That was all boom, gone instantly. And so the first six months of COVID, I lost my six busiest months of the year. Those months, I should be doing about 80 shows. And the first couple of months that this was happening, I was doing zero. Mm. So it's different than another business where you just lock the door and walk away. I can't. Yeah. I have things that have to eat, you know, maybe still get sick, excuse me, go to the doctors, other supplies. My expenses never stopped, but the income did. Right. So what did you find I'm yourself? I'm really glad I got an awesome sister. She's helped me out. Okay. I've had some people in the community where I grew up and some others have sponsored a couple animals, which has helped because all that money, you know, I pay staff first, rent, and then animal food, mm. then utilities. Then I worry about me and my debt. Right. Priorities, I guess. Yeah. The, how many staff do you have working for Normally, you? Normally, I would have, you know, other than like my web guy and an accountant, I'd have one full-time staff, my assistant, and uh, maybe two part-timers. Mm. And now my full-time staff, she's actually had to get another job for obvious reasons because she's yeah. got mortgage and bills. And I've had one lady that I, I've known for a few years. She's uh, offered to help out for shows if it works on her schedule. So I have one part-time staff. Wow. Yeah. So, so speaking of, of adapting to the whole social distancing COVID, what ad adaptations have you made that, that people can access Mike's critters. Uh, well, I'm doing Zoom shows now, mm -hmm. and it's not the 100% same experience because part of, you know, meeting animals and learning about them is seeing them up close, touching maybe and holding, but you got to do what you got to do. And the next best thing is I can still visit people online. Right. And one thing that is kind of neat is... Uh, I visited other countries with Zoom shows now with families doing it. The very first show I did was a birthday that got canceled. Parents still needed to do something and wanted to do something, mm -hmm. but there was people from South Africa and England watching. Wow. That's kind of neat. Yeah. I had an upcoming show in January online that's out of Northwest Territories. You know, I can't do a road show to the Northwest Territories, <laughs> day, right? So it's it's possibly open up some other doors, right. but it's shut down a lot of the in-person ones. Yeah. And, and and you seem like a guy who that's where you get your joy is these in-person shows and people being with the animals. Well, human interaction, yeah. humans are social beings. And, you know, if I'm working full time when I'm done work, I want to sit on the couch and be a vegetable and recoup and get ready for the next day. But you kind of don't realize how much you miss people mm. until you're missing them. Yeah. yeah. Even that high five from Billy's fifth birthday right. means a lot more now than it did before. That you don't you usually realize what you miss until it's gone. 
and and I think that you know that's that's a a deeper meditation on this whole thing is I think we took a lot of things for granted. I we know I sure did. Granted. Yeah. And then now we're here, and uh, and yes, we adapt. We're very resilient creatures, critters. But so hard. Yeah, but it it doesn't mean it's easy. No. Right. So, what what are your 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 hopes? Are you hoping that in 2021 things will go back to normal, or are you optimistic with the whole online thing? Uh, I like the online thing because yeah. I have to leave my house. <laughs> Yeah. I've already got my shirt on, nothing below, right? <laughs> but uh, no, I'm fully dressed. But it, it opens up some doors. Yeah. And, you know, I've got a couple shows coming up in the next two weeks out of Toronto. That's awesome. And I can reach more people this way, but it's a very, very slow process to do. And it's word of mouth. And what I've always found right from day one, if one show leads to another show, you're never out of work. Yes. And word of mouth is the best way to enhance a small business. Right. But if you're not good at what you're doing, it's the best way to kill your business too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so how can people access uh, Mike's Critters? Like say, uh, well, say there's a birthday coming up. Got to talk to me, obviously. And we got to talk and set yeah. dates and times. But I'm on Facebook. Instagram, I got a YouTube channel, and then mikescritters.com is my website and all the contact info's there. Okay. And if it's say it's Billy's birthday party, normally Billy would be my helper and sit with me and hold mm -hmm. the things while we're talking. But I kind of think part of the fun is picking the animals that you want to see. Right. And, you know, so still the kids can still pick or the seniors group or the school group but when you see what you picked you spent time with mom or dad online yeah. i like that snake that revs them up and it gives them energy and i kind of i'm an energy vampire so to speak if I, the group revved up i get revved up too right right you, you, did you say that you had some critters that you wanted to to show i do yeah well, by by all means let's uh okay well i picked four Okay. Two creepy and two cute and cuddly. Oh, wonderful. What should we see first? Creepy crawly. Okay. <laughs> so uh, one of my, when I do schools, and I really like schools because the teachers are on the ball yeah. and they control the kids because I was the kid, you gave me an inch, I ran for as many <laughs> miles as I could. So I like that the teachers are in control of that. But classification and adaptation are my favorite ones because you can do more things. Mm. You know, if it's just all reptiles, you're limited. You appeal to more people more often with variety. Of course. Variety is the spice of life. Yes. So that's why I picked Whoa. two and two. So here we go. This that's is beautiful. a creamsicle corn snake. Creamsicle corn snake. And this was an adoption I had from a family I know out in, in De South Delta where I grew up. This is a young girl. She's probably about two and a half years old. I picked this one because of the colors, but corn snakes are one of the two most commonly kept pet snakes in the world. Right. So there's lots of info out there. There's lots of knowledge. And on Facebook, just as an example, there are a lot of really good groups that if you're new, 
and you write, you ask the right question when you join and you make a posting, you're going to get people that I consider experts giving you feedback. Right. And you should do your own research first. Yes. So you can narrow your questions down. But this is one of the better snakes, in my opinion, to have. They come in hundreds of different color variations and they don't get big. Okay. So when they don't get big, it means it's easier to clean up its poop, yeah. easier to feed, easier to house. And if all those things there, if it's easier, it's better for you and it's better for the animal because it doesn't need all the high-end stuff that a chameleon might need. Right. Though for the right person, chameleons can make awesome pets too, but they're higher maintenance. So any questions about her? What's, what's her name? Lucy. Lucy. Okay. Now she can't hear because snakes don't have ears. They're oh. deaf. But her name is Lucy. That's the what the family called her. So how do they they can't hear? They just use their vision. Do we have any sense? Uh, of their number one sense is sense of taste. Snakes are deaf tongue. and they don't have they have a nose, but they can't smell. Oh. So they're missing 40% of nature's senses right away. If you look really closely, you might see the snake has pinkish eyes. Yes. There's albinoism in this snake to get this color variation. Certain colors create different colors. Right. Just mix paint together. So when you're an albino animal, your eyesight's horrible, just like if you're a person that's albino. Yes. So it's not blind, but really say it has two and a half of its five senses are gone. So it sets taste. Mm. They have a Jacobson organ in the roof of their mouth. I say it's like a little straw and then the organ at the back of the straw in the roof of their mouth. So the snake sticks its tongue out, picks up chemicals in the air, goes back into the tube, into the tube, touches the Jacobson organ, transfers the chemicals it picked up to tell the snake what is around it. Whoa. And their instincts say, oh, this is food. Go get it. Or else I go hungry. Or I don't know this. This is danger. Better to be safe than sorry and take off. Okay. Now, Lucy, did, does she eat mice? She does. And actually, she did a show with me on Monday. And she's visiting with you. So after we're done today, I put her back into her cage for a few hours and she gets dinner. Okay. And she'll eat a mouse tonight for dinner. Yeah. Nice. Well, she, she earned all it. Her head is. Yeah. Dislocates her jaw. Nope. They don't dislocate oh. it. Uh, I want to say they stretch it really wide. Tendons, I call them rubber bands. They can stretch really wide to engulf. Whoa. A snake can swallow food up to three times the size of their head. <laughs> That's like you trying to swallow a pumpkin. It's impossible, right? Yeah, yeah. So snakes can swallow big food. And when groups pick animals to come, I've always asked them to pick a certain amount of days in advance. Snakes come to a lot of groups. Mm -hmm. I want my animals to be able to eat, digest, and go to the bathroom for yes. obvious reasons. Yes. Because I got to clean it up if it goes all over the floor, right? Or I have to smell myself if it lands on me. So for 
getting my list, I want 10 days in advance typically. Right. So a snake can eat and digest properly. Right. Why, why are people so like the phobia of snakes and spiders, but why? Thanks. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. But, but why, why are people afraid of snakes? Do you think? Number one, I'm going to say it's a lack of education. Mm-hmm. As humans, if we don't know or understand something, what's the first thing we want to do? Kill it. Yeah. So that that doesn't help any phobias. But it's funny that you bring that up because several years ago, uh, I had a psychologist call me up and she was from India. And she had said, you know, she's come to the point in her career where she feels she needs to work on some of her own fears. Exposure therapy. Yeah. They had cobras in the compound where she lived. And I can understand having those phobias, having that in your in your yard, right? Yes. And I asked her, and she said, the majority of people that are afraid of animals, it is lack of education, but it's because who raised you mm. is afraid of them, and you transfer your fears to who you raise. I see. So if you were holding, you know, you and your daughter are watching TV. A snake slithers onto the screen. You scream. You just taught your daughter to be afraid because you are. Right. That's that behavioralism. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, culture does play a part of it, too. Of course. The Western world, I'm going to say, even though I can list massive lists of people afraid of snakes and tarantulas, but more people are in exotic countries compared Mm -hmm. to Canada and the States are afraid of the things more in their own backyard. And they just, they're not educated about them. Right. And Whereas we're more afraid of the symbolism behind, say, a snake based on religion. And yeah, because typically your average person here, sorry, it's all stuck in my shirt now. <laughs> the average person isn't going to come across a 20-foot snake or, you know, a mamba in their yeah. backyard. So we don't have to worry about it. Right, right. Those people might... And so what's your natural reaction? Yeah, kill, kill it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like that with like like gardener snakes. I, I think those are awesome creatures. And when I was a kid, I'd catch them. But other people, they and see they them. On you. It, 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 it Yes, it did. Yeah. And That's I thought I was defense. Steve Irwin. That's for protection. Yeah. That's well, their defense. And I think the tail disconnects too or something like that. Uh, there's lizards that do that. Lizards do they that. Well, but there's lizards that can, and some grow them back, some don't. Oh, they just lose them, and that's it. They're tailless. Yeah. One-time defense. I call that defense by distraction. Right. Because all of a sudden, it looks like there's two lizards. Uh, the one leaves, evil. runs away, and then the tail set there wiggling because nerves are activated once it detaches. Predators are lazy. They want the easiest amount of food, the quickest way they can do yeah. it, without wasting energy and time. Hence why they go for the weekend. Or eat what's right in front of you. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that, that's like cougars and how they, they don't want to risk their own lives to get something. So they'll look at a weaker animal, track that one and get that. In the wild, uh, in the wild, most prey animals don't show they're sick or they're injured until there's really nothing left that they can do and that's it and because if they did they're the first ones targeted in the wild right yeah right now do snakes does lucy like being held she doesn't mind it 
Yeah. And uh, you got to watch their body language. And really, I think maybe the most important thing in my business is understanding the people I'm dealing with body language. Yeah. If I'm visiting you in person, you're freaking out. <laughs> I'm not coming to you with the snake because I don't want you to fall backwards, crack your head open, run through a window, scream, and then say bad things. <laughs> so you got to do that. And if the animal's not comfortable, you can't show it, you can't bring it. Yeah. And I've had some critters that I've adopted or got myself over the years that I call my beasts of burden because they don't want to come to work. Mm. That's not right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, why, why force it? Who, well, now, you force it. You're only opening up to other people saying bad things. Yeah. Because they're seeing the same body language that I am, right? Right, right. And, and, and that doesn't help the hobby or the business at all. Yes. Yeah. We, we, it's about, again, the ethics of the business. Now, now you have another uh, creepy crawly. I do. So I got a tarantula. Oh. It came very early this morning and I'll leave about four o'clock today. So this is a Mexican red-legged tarantula. For decades, it was the most sought after species of tarantula in the world. And I'm reading your body language, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> that's uh, massive. That is a massive one because of wow. its colors yeah. and its uh, temperament. It's, they're very docile. And I like the tarantulas. It does freak a lot of people out. But we talked a little bit earlier about hair. See all the hair on her? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the defense. For two reasons. It's a sensory organ because it senses air movement. And you notice as I talk a lot, is she in front of my mouth? Yes. No. Oh, oh, oh to the side. I, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. So she's off to the side so I don't startle her. Because if she fell off my hand and landed on my table, she might not survive a two-foot drop. Oh. They're very delicate animals. Wow. But... Old world and new world. New world is the Americas. Mm -hmm. Old world is the other continents. Old world tarantulas, their venom is stronger, but no one's ever died from a tarantula bite. But there's spiders that can kill you with their venom. But new world, because their venom is weaker, another defense they have is their hairs are an irritant. So if I was had her right in front of me, my mouth and I'm blowing on her, she might start kicking hairs off her abdomen. She's trying to push those hairs into my face because you ever had an eyelash in your eye? Yeah. How did you yeah. react? Well, you're trying to get it out. And then you, you're, you're distracted by that. Yeah. And priority is seeing again, not right. what you're doing, right? Right. So if she can get some of these irritant hairs into a critter's eyes, you can't really catch your food unless you see it. Or you get it in your nose or your mouth, it's an irritant. But their hairs for certain species are really bad irritants. And I'm allergic to some of their hair. Mm. And, you know, I'm 6'1", 220 pounds, fairly big guy. If their hair, some of their species get on me, I get highs and welts. Right. So what's a smaller animal going to do if I get that reaction? It'll die. Well, maybe. I would assume no matter what it's going to be a way worse reaction yeah. incapacitated bad reaction yeah yeah you fix yourself before you can eat right yeah 
Now, what's what's this tarantula's name? She doesn't really speak English very well. So I just call her the Mexican red-legged. She was captive born. Okay. She's still growing. But when when I do buy my tarantulas, and I did buy her, she was half the size of a grain of rice. No way. She was smaller than that when she hatched out of an egg case. So, you know, bulk buying, you can buy things more cheaper when they're young, but then you risk losing them as they grow. The most dangerous time for a tarantula or an arachnid is when they're molting their exoskeleton because their body's soft. And for a tarantula, they actually flip over onto their back to break out of their exoskeleton. You're totally helpless. Yeah. She eats crickets. If there's a cricket in her cage when she's molting, the cricket could end up killing her. Just by jumping on her? No, just by biting her while she's oh. trapped. out. She's vulnerable to predation. That and vulnerable, wow. Very vulnerable. And then they could also get stuck in it. And they need the right humidity. So we're going back to that. When I sense one of my tarantulas is going to grow, I have to make sure there's more humidity in their cage so they can get out of their exoskeleton. You know what movie made me... Like, like snakes, no problem. But tarantulas, it's something... I about, your body language. Yeah, it, it's something about the way they move, like their their, their limbs. Yeah. And it reminds me of the movie Aliens and the Face Huggers. Go, uh, some praying mantises definitely look like some... Uh, some aliens yeah. from oh, movies. Oh yeah, yeah. But but that is a cool creep. Now, um, arachnids they don't have ears, right? But they they have eight no. eyes. Uh, well, there's arachnids with zero eyes. Okay. And those ones, there's lots of animal. Well, I don't want to say lots, but there's several types of animals that have zero eyes. Uh, when you live in a in an environment where you don't need something specific, you don't have it. You disappear. And another sense will be heightened. So there's uh, spiders, insects, amphibians, fish that live in caves. You don't Relax. need eyes yeah. in a dark cave. But then your your the hairs on your body are more sensitive, or you might have longer reach for touch and feel. Adaptations. Is One there thing that? Oh, sorry. Go. No, 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 no. Go ahead. One thing that uh, I always have to bring up because 50% of the groups that I visit love this. Women love hearing this. Guys hate this. Massive difference in, in the tarantula world between girls and boys. Girls are bigger, stronger, and faster. Girls live four times longer than their brothers. And a lot of the time, the girls eat their boyfriends. <laughs> When I'm in a seniors group, I joke, is this a performance issue? <laughs> I can't with a kid or, you know, at a birthday or a school. But the, the boys, because the boys don't live long, they got one job to do. Reproduce. Reproduce. And once that's done, their life energy starts to whittle away. You, the male wanders off. He gets, he gets eaten by someone else. The mom and the family don't get any of those nutrients. So when, if she eats him... She gets those nutrients. She keeps some, but producing their babies, she passes some of that on. Oh. I call that a power lunch. <laughs> and wow. this is for people in parts of the world. This is this is what, sorry? Food. People in cult certain cultures. I could, yeah. Yeah. 
I can never like eat crab. that. Really? Well, cra crabs, like Dungeness crabs look a lot like spiders. Well, when you look at them, yeah. eight legs, two body, well, one body part for a crustacean, I guess, but two for an arachnid. You take the hairs off and you give her two claws. What does it look like? Yeah, crab. Scorpions are arachnids. What do they look like? Yeah, well, the same thing, yeah. Well, they look like lobster. Yeah. People so, eat scorpions, they taste like lobster. Is is that a common ancestor, do you think? Because I'll be honest. They, one evolved from the other, I'm betting. Yeah, because when I look at certain animals, I think there's no way that's not an alien. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like an octopus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Octopus, one of the smartest, most adaptable animals in the world. Yeah. Like that thing is from another planet. Squids, all yeah. that. Yeah. So um, is there any animal that you have a phobia of that Human. you're afraid of? I, I knew you were going to say that. Me too. <laughs> Me too. You know that saying, uh, people prefer their dog? I prefer my frog. <laughs> but we're the worst critter on the planet to ourselves and everyone else. Yeah. An animal isn't actively looking to do something bad unless you're a mosquito or a leech. Yeah. They're just doing, they're doing what they were put on surviving. Earth. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas humans, we, we exploit, bad. we exploit like deforestation and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, in the next 30 years. Massive. Oh, yeah. Well, are, are you seeing like effects of global warming in terms of the animals that you're getting? And well, the next one I was thinking about pulling out, I've been told, I, I've read that they're in danger again. I'm going to bring out a chinchilla next, if that's cool. Oh, please. Yeah, yeah. Chinchillas were on the endangered species list because of the fur trade. Yeah. Exploitation of people. Yeah. By Which people. still goes on, the, the chinchilla fur but trade. It, and I'm not a fan of fur. I kind of believe if you weren't born with it, you don't need to wear it. You can go to Costco and buy a, a winter jacket. Yeah. That's not, you know, downfilled, I guess. But uh, the governments where they lived in South America stopped allowing people to catch them. But of course, there's always poachers around, right? But so the populations bounce back because they're rodents. But I've read global warming has really affected their populations in the wild. They live in a cold desert high in the mountains. And if it warms up, these guys can't survive. I don't bring my chinchillas out in, in the months that get over like 20 degrees outside. Right. My animal means more to me alive than it does making a couple bucks off of it. Yeah. So, and so in the summertime, you have to keep these cool then. Yeah, so I have to drag my air conditioning unit downstairs in the summertime. If it gets really hot, it's always, it'll always have a fan. But if it gets really hot, 30-something, I want the air conditioning unit on. And something else weird about the chinchillas, they live in a habitat with no water. A chinchilla in the wild might never have a drink of water in its life. So how does it say hydrate? Get all the liquid from the foods they eat. Quite a few rodents do. So if there's no water to drink, how do you take a bath? Licking himself. You need so you need water to yeah. drink saliva. Saliva, when yeah. When you don't drink water, you can't produce saliva, you don't pee, and you don't sweat. So they take sand baths. They've adapted to use what's available to them. And there's a lot of rodents that don't need to drink water 
but they take sand baths to get clean. And so she rolls around in the sand, gets all in between her fur, takes the greases and oils out. Wow. Makes her the softest thing in the world. Right. So I got her actually October 29th last year. And like I said, I visit lots of different groups, seniors groups. I had a senior name her. She's the softest thing in the world. So I named her after a product that we all use daily that's known to be soft, but it was really hard to get in the stores for the first few months of lockdown. This is Charmin. <laughs> some people don't that's get that. That's a good that. name. That's a good name. Some people don't get that, but she is the softest thing in the world. Wow. And a lot of people. She is say cute. Yeah. Amazing athletes. They could jump, right? One of my older ones jumped four feet straight up into the air. That's crazy. That's like us jumping over a two-story house. Yeah. Wow. And uh, fast, really fast. And totally calm right now. She is. And, yeah. you know, when I first got her, she wasn't. Right. So it takes time and exposure, just like a parrot that can speak. You buy it, you bring it home. It's not going to start speaking. You got to put the time in. Yeah, because it, it's adapting to its new environment. Exactly. And it right. has to feel safe, comfortable yeah. in where it is and with you before it's going to give back. The one that I was thinking about was, uh, I love the ears. I love her ears. I satellite dishes. To get this here for, my, like, for. I don't know about miles, yeah, but just yeah. hear really good. She's nocturnal. So she's out at night, something that could be sitting, lying in wait, ambush predator. She needs to hear and see. That's why she's got the big black eyes. Okay. Again, back to those adaptations. Yep. She's, they're bigger than I, I thought. Like she's, she, she's about a year and a half old and she's actually smaller than the other ones I've ever had. So if they take sand baths in, in their natural environment, what does she do in captivity? Like, uh, or, or in bowl that's in her cage and mm -hmm. tomorrow is cleaning day for her cage. So I'll replace it, but you can buy a, a, uh, a ground up like pumice rock in yeah. sand form. And so I, I replace that every week almost. Okay. Two weeks, but she likes to poop in it. So I, I, <laughs> I do it. Every that is cute. This is definitely one of the biggest hits. And I know there's a lot of birthday people, especially little girls oh. that get bummed out if their birthday's in the summer and she can't come. Right. So now on the flip side, being able to do Zoom shows, she can still visit year round, just not in person. And, and are the kids allowed to pet her? Yeah. yeah. And uh, well, one of my big things though, and my insurance company loves this, I'm adamant about my safety rules. Yes. And if you're sitting there picking your nose, chewing on your finger, you're washing. Yes. I don't want those goblins on the critters. Yeah. And, you know, vice versa. And I have two strikes, you're out. Yeah. I go through the rules and it doesn't matter if you're three or a hundred. Yeah. You break the rules. That's it for you. Yeah. You break them twice. I want to give everyone a chance. Yeah, of course. And it's kind of funny because... You can never please all the people all the time, right? And uh, I can think of about four groups that weren't thrilled with my 
uh, safety rules about being so adamant about them. Your delivery, yeah. Kid, yeah. My animal and my business. So that's it. I don't care. You're bringing me in. You follow my rules or that's it. Yeah. But I can think of a couple groups that weren't happy about my rules because someone was disappointed. Yeah. And, you know. Someone's you feelings were hurt. Yeah. You can only say something so many times before that's it. At the beginning of COVID, in the first month, I actually had two of those groups call me and they go, Mike, I don't know if you remember, blah, 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 you did this and we weren't happy with your safety rules. You were 20 years ahead of your time. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. With the whole touching. So and the, yeah. I completed. Yeah. So it's nice to hear, even if it's that much or later, they understand. Well, that's the education piece, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. And. You know, that wasn't a science, but now I guess they kind of proven right. it is a science now, right? Right. Yeah, well, because when I was thinking of chinchillas, the one the one that actually happens a lot here is mink, mink farms. Yes. And there are lots of mink farms. And, you know, I'm not a fan of fur, like I said. Yeah. You, you weren't born with it. You don't need it. Yeah. I think it's the entertainment industry movie stars rock stars that are keeping this going because lots of people want to be like beyonce right or j-lo well she's got a fur coat i'm going to save my pennies and be like j-lo yeah if they weren't doing that the fur trade i think would drop a lot right there is understandable you know you're in northwest territories you live in the bush you're using everything you know, here we're not. Most cultures, most Western cultures, we waste. But, yeah, so there's that there. Well, and you could just use synthetic, you know, fur, right? Because if well, you're doing it for the cool, like for the cool yeah. factor or whatever, you can just get yeah. fake fur. It's cheaper, too. Exactly. And you feel better about yourself. The mink farms, a few years ago, uh, animal rights activists broke into one of the mink farms in Abbotsford or Chilliwack and you released like 5,000 of them. You're not helping those animals. No. You just, most of them to death. Yeah. Because they're captive born. They yeah. don't understand what it's like being outside and you have predators. Yeah. I was in that neck of the woods doing shows right after that happened. And we were finding mink run over on the road all oh. over the place. And they're so, just easy prey for the coyotes, which is bad for the coyotes because then they think that all their food's going to be that easy. Well, and eagles, owls, other yeah. raptors, and all that, and it's just a chain reaction. But in my opinion, those 5,000 minks that they think they saved, they just sentenced to death. Yeah. Some, I'm sure, survived, but most of them didn't. That's, uh, that's like slacktivism at its finest. Like, we're just going to free them and that's it. Well, no, you, there has to be, it's like a then what, right? Well, exactly. And then if they're all captive born, you release them. What happens if they start mixing with wild mink? What if one has a disease that's inside that's not activated right. until it's outside and gets stressed? Because some stresses are activated by, or diseases activated by stress, right? Then they start intermingling with what, the odd wild one. And you knock out a species. Yeah. Well, that's a huge problem. We're talking about fisheries before, but river systems in the United States, they've been flooded with uh, this fish from Asia. And they're like, 
don't know if it's tilapia, but they like, like uh, they're like flying carp or something, but they like, <clears throat> they're, they're killing people because they jump out of the water. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. And they like, Oh man, but, but yeah. they're just super invasive and it's taking all the, I think endemic species are the ones that were there yeah. originally eating it's, them and taking over and yeah. spider turtles here. The, the most the, common turtle that you see is the little, you know, the painted, painted spider. Yeah. If, turtles around the lower mainland they're all hibernating right now but odds are it's a red ear slider turtle and they're from mexico and they're actually out competing the western painted turtle oh yeah so and you know the rabbits that you're dumping in the park same thing yeah. they might out compete or eat the food of the native one that should be here so what do you do about that well it's you got to raise awareness somehow yeah. And do you, do you one kill person them or like, yeah. Everyone has to be on board. Yeah. And nowadays you can't get everybody all on board for the same thing. Because <laughs> because the way they intersect is, no, you got to free them. You got to kill them. And we can't agree on the outcome. On one, right? one yeah, one yeah. commonality. Now, and, and you have one last animal, is that right? I do. Another of the big favorites. Give me one second. <clears throat> sorry there might be some of its bedding falling off but what's this that's a hedgehog it is <laughs> african pygmy hedgehog this was another adoption and this is a young one this is bruce quillis <laughs> and they're there you got to have fun with the names of right of course Course. You make people laugh a little bit, you draw them in, you might lower their fear about something. Mm. Going back to the snakes, some of them I call Julius Squeezer. You get a laugh, oh, well, maybe I'll give a little and touch it. And there's yeah. the first step, right? Oh, good, he came out. There's his nose. Why, why does the nose poke out first? He's, he's, he's making sure it's safe. Exactly. Stay inside your pin cushion ball. Right. What's going to bite a, a, a ball of spikes? No animal with a brain, that's for sure. Exactly. <laughs> you might attempt the first time, but you're not going to attempt it a second time because you've learned by experience. <laughs> but I hope you'll do this. Can you hear the sound? Oh, yeah. Puffing and puffing. When I'm at a group, I say the huffing and puffing, I call that a burp or a fart because it's funnier, but they vocalize loud to startle their predators. Oh. A predator can still eat them, but they have to remove the spikes with claws or talons. You touch them, they go, they scare the thing. Ah, I'm going to go and get a right. sandwich, something else, right? <laughs> Bruce Quillis. And the girl is Harley Quill. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> but yeah, this is one of the more popular ones. And you can see that nose going bonkers. They have horrible eyesight. So one sense works bad, or sorry, one sense works bad, other works better for balance. Because mm. if they all look bad or they all work bad, what happens to you? 
you you don't dinner. know which one to trust. Yeah. Well, your dinner. Oh yeah, sorry, they all work bad. Yeah. Yeah. They got really good hearing, and they also have a really really good sense of taste. Mm. One thing that's weird about a hedgehog when they encounter a new taste that they enjoy, and I found this out the hard way. I used to have an albino one. He loved blueberries and blackberries. Have you ever had blueberry or blackberry juice stained clothes or the tips of your fingers picking them? Yeah. When they get something that they like, they lick the side. Well, they get it in their mouth and they lick the sides of their body. It's called anointing. It's annoying, not anointing, but it's transferring that scent onto their body. I call that cataloging because now they know then they the can next find it. it. Oh, I, I want to get it. Oh, because of their but noses. Yeah, good yeah. observation. A teacher at a show, a birthday I was doing, he says, could that also be to cover their own scent? If you smell like blueberries, not that they're going to find blueberries in Africa, but if you smell like blueberry and the hyenas hunting you, Blueberries not on a hyena's diet. So you might go unnoticed. Right. So it might have a couple other reasons too. Yeah, I like that idea of cataloging because they put it and then I guess they absorb that and with their noses because they're so super powered. They want to find more of what that was, right? And being an albino, having blackberry juice or, or blueberry juice all over your sides it doesn't look really good bringing in a critter that's got blueberries all over their sides. So I have to take a scrub brush or like an old toothbrush to them to get rid of it. But it Which means, that, well, to get rid of the stain and the chunks of blueberry on them. Yeah. Is he an albino? Time, no, this is, oh, I that, think, the other one. called a cinnamon. Albino, albinoism means you're lacking eye. your pigments. So you're typically white. Or you could be pale pink or yellow, depending on who you are, the animal. Really cute. The baddest, worst things about this and the chinchilla is they're nocturnal. Mm. So they're typically in the opposite schedule as us. But a hedgehog, their toenails are the hardest animal I've ever had to trim their nails. Really? Probably because they burrow them, right? Well, I picked them up. What did he do? Yeah, he just... Curls into a ball, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take your foot out so I can trim your nails. He's doing it, but you know, work like that. That is crazy how he just goes into a ball. Hundred percent ball, perfect protect, almost perfect protection. Mm. If the animal that's trying to eat him isn't afraid of the sounds he makes, you're curled up. You're not getting away your dinner pretty quick. Yeah, but who wants to be scared to eat your dinner? You know, you go to stick your fork and your knife in your steak, and it moves at you. Yeah, you're probably backing off and not eating it, right? Now, with the hedgehog, are are, are those with Bruce Quillis? Are the, are they quills or is it fur? Because porcupines are it's dead. modified fur. Modified fur, gotcha. And porcupines uh, are modified fur too. They're quills and. These are spikes or whatever you want to call it. But the diff- one of the differences is, and they're both made out of keratin, same thing as our hair and our nails. But the difference is porcupines have a barb at the end of their quill. Right. So when it comes oh. into contact with something, it sticks in you. 
Yeah. A lot of people think porcupines and hedgehogs shoot their quills. They don't. They come, you don't want to shoot your protection away. Then you're vulnerable. And then you have none. But you come in contact with it, it embeds in you. You go, ow, you pull away and you pull the spikes up. Or it whacks you with its tail, the porcupine does. Porcupine doesn't want to be stuck to the wolf. Pulls its tail back and what hit the wolf is stuck in the wolf. Okay. And is there poison in the... Nope. No, okay. Nope. One thing too in, in this business, one thing that annoys me the most is poison and venom. <laughs> so people don't know the difference. And I read it in books all the time. Mm. Do you have a guess what the difference might be? That's a, that's They're a great. They're different. So venom, my guess is that, yeah, I don't know. Venom I, I associate with snakes. Yeah, 20% of snakes are venomous. Right. Yeah. Now, could they be poisonous as well? Uh, well, if you mm. ate it, it yeah. could be poisonous. And sorry, my battery is going low. So oh, no worries. There we go. Poison and venom could be the exact same chemical compound. It could hurt the body the exact same way, but it's the delivery method. Venom's injected by stingers or a fang. Right. Poison's ingested or absorbed. So typically they're both liquid in a way, but it can get confusing because if you ate the head of a rattlesnake, right. you're ingesting its venom. Right. So there's always something to throw people off and there's always a bad example for everything you say in the animal world. There's always something that doesn't match. Right, right. There's, the there's, always... Is, there's always something that doesn't fit the category in a way. Mm -hmm. Do you, how, how are mammals brought into the world? Uh, pregnancy. They're, most people will say they're all born alive. You right, right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did I. All mammals hatch out of an egg, except five lay the eggs outside their, the mom's body. Every other yeah, mammal, even humans have eggs, right? Yeah. Well, we all keep, and yeah. I think women, when they're born, they have all the eggs they're going to use for their whole life already in their bodies. Right. I think I'm wrong on that. But five mammals lay eggs outside the body. Platypus. Every, the blue whale, biggest one in the world, hatched out of an egg inside mom. Whoa. Yeah, but the five mammals that lay eggs outside of the body are the oldest mammal family in the world, and they're the weirdest. Platypus and four that look like hedgehogs called echidnas. Echidnas. They're, they, they look like giant hedgehogs, and they're all from Australia. Yeah. They're called monotremes, and that's the oldest mammal family in the world. Wow. Yeah, all, all those all those are in Australia. Platypus is in Australia as well. Yep. And a platypus, the males are venomous. Who would have thought there's a venomous mammal? I think shrews might be too, but male platypus has a spur on its foot, on its back legs that are venomous. That's a defense. They'll kick what's trying to eat them. Okay. And and the difference between venom and poison is that venom is is with a stinger. It's like you're you're being injected by it or something. So fang your stinger. 
compare it yeah. to ingestion or absorption. Yes, right. So if you so eat like if you eat a newt or, or something if like that. If you eat a newt, you're you're got poison in you. Yeah. Do you live on the North Shore? I live in Surrey. Okay. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. You're gonna see the newt in North Van is supposed to be maybe the most poisonous amphibian in BC. Whoa. Well, I heard yeah. a story about there were a bunch of hunters and they were all dead. Like this person came upon this camp, they're all dead. And they're like, what happened? They couldn't figure it out. And they looked in their coffee pot and a newt had oh, climbed okay. into it and, and, they, and then they drank it and they, they all died. So I've never heard that, but there are amphibians that can kill you. The poison dart frogs. Yeah. The most poisonous dart frog in the world is, you know, the top part of your pinky finger. Uh, its Latin name is Phyllobates terribilis. Terribilis, terrible. Right. Supposedly in the wild, the wild ones, they have enough poison on the outside of their body to kill 200 adults like wow. that. And they're that big. But, oh no, they're smaller than that. They're yeah. that big. That's crazy. And if, but if I've had that species in captivity, but they weren't poisonous at all because they're not ingesting their native food. In the wild, they eat ants that are venomous and those yeah. ants eat poisonous plant. I see. It's, it's a matter of their food and, and how much these animals do change when we don't give them the same yep. environment. And well, then in captivity, they don't need that poison because nothing's gonna be eating them. Right. Yeah, again, going back to the adaptations. Well, I, I'm looking at the time and I'm like, okay, I. I gotta let you go here, but before I do, what's the what's the greatest thing that we can learn from animals? The greatest lesson that you've learned from animals? Uh, they're smarter than we give them credit for. Mm -hmm. And you know, kind of not that I have a dog, but if a dog doesn't like a person, they can sense it. Person. Yeah. Yeah. And. You know, I can understand people not liking animals because to each their own. I don't like some genres of music or food, right? But uh, I think it's important that kids, especially because they're going to be the future leaders of the world, mm -hmm. have exposure to them because it teaches empathy and it teaches about other things, not just about ourselves. And, you know, a little kid that has their own pet, they're learning responsibilities empathy and other things right and this world needs a lot more of that yeah yeah we yeah, we need to get out of our, our our level of human egotism right and realize that we share this world like you know borders climate they might be here before us yeah and they're not going to be here after us if we keep going the route we are right yeah wow one more time, Mike, how can people uh, get a hold of you? Because, you know, you're an awesome guy and I want more people to access uh, what- I what love hearing that. Involved. Well, there, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, mm -hmm. YouTube channel. My website is mikescritters.com. Mikescritters at hotmail.com is my main email. Mm -hmm. And uh, 604-598. 3649 is the phone number. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike, for your time. And, and, and well, thanks for putting up with me. Oh, hey, I, I, you're a great guy to talk with, and I love your animals. Um, uh, well, thanks for the invite. 
Yeah, thank you. And and you take care. And I hope that in 2021, uh, these animals can be back to increase people's understanding, not only of the world around them, but of themselves. So yeah, no, I, I like how you put that because we, we, we can learn lots if we open up our yes. mind about anything. Yeah, if we stop thinking that we know everything and realize that we can learn a lot from others. Nobody is an expert at a specific thing. Everybody can learn something from anybody. Well, I've learned a lot from you today, so. Well, I appreciate hearing that and huh. happy Festivus. Yes, you too. <laughs> Thank you. Take care and best of luck have in 2021. Day. Once again, that was Mike Larson from Mike's Critters, a wonderful guy doing wonderful work. I love what he said about phobias and how so much of the things that we fear, such as snakes or spiders, that's learned behavior that we often pick up from, from our parents or from others. And it's something that we should ask ourselves, you know, do I want to keep feeling this way about something or, or do I want to understand this fear? And I think that that's applicable to so many things in life. I appreciate Mike being on the show. Please do check out his webpage, Mike's Critters. You can just Google search that. And uh, he will for sure make your birthday party for your, your child a very special one. Thank you so much for listening. And stay tuned for more. Thank you again for listening. I'm Robert Grant. And I'm probably wrong about everything.